Hi, this is Mark Spiegler, and you're listening to Intersections, the Art Basel podcast, supported by UBS. This episode marks the first show of our second season, and we've had a lot of truly well-known people on this podcast. But it's safe to say that none of them is as world-famous as Namjoon Kim. He's better known as RM, the leader of the K-pop band BTS for almost a decade. And in the last few years, BTS has become a truly global force, far beyond Korea, with an impact that transcends the music world. Because of his star status, Namjoon's cultural influence is enormous. So when he started collecting art five years ago, and being very public about it on his social media, it had a real impact for the artists, galleries, and museums that he has supported. This is the first podcast that Namjoon has ever done in English, and the topics you'll hear him discuss include the rise of Korea as a cultural force, how an artist builds their legacy, and his plans to open a collection space in Seoul, Korea. An unexpected thing happened just as we were preparing to release this episode. BTS shocked the music world with a major announcement. The group's members will be focusing on solo projects. But according to their management, they plan to remain active in quote-unquote various different formats. What this all means for BTS and Namjoon Kim remains to be seen. But without a doubt, this development casts his highly reflective comments in this interview, especially those concerning personal legacy and solo projects, in a very different light. If you enjoyed this conversation, please review and favorite Intersections wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Good. Namjoon Kim, welcome to Intersections. Hi. Tell us where you are today, just to give our listeners something to hang their thoughts around. I'm in Seoul because I live in South Korea, Seoul, and here it's 7 p.m. I'm in my studio. This is our label studio. It's my little studio and a little painting back over there. So, yeah. Let's start at the beginning. I read in the interview preparation that you were introduced by a grade school teacher to Eminem. Oh, probably towards the beginning of his career. It was 13 um, when I first listened to Eminem, I believe. And it was actually without me. And it was the movie, of course, The 8 Mile. It was a hit. And for a adolescent kid, the rap and the face and the acting he showed in the movie was so sensational. So I thought like, oh man, I want to be like him. I want to do the nice English rapping someday like him. I want to do some cypher. I want to write the lyrics. But before that, the fun thing is that when I was like a 10 or elementary school, I really wanted to be a poet or a writer. So meeting Eminem and Nas, my dream of being a poet actually naturally moves to be a rapper. Tell me, because I think it's a fairly industrial complex in Korea, tell me how you entered the music system. Did you succeed right away? When did you start? Okay, so I got to know Eminem and Nas in 13 years old. And from 14, I started to write my own lyrics. And there was some online community, amateur musicians and rappers showing their lyrics and their musics. It was really bad, but it was really pure. So I just got into the community, showing my stuff and studio works, and then started my hobby. And I became 16. Actually, I just wanted to enter the system. Like you said, I just wanted to enter a underground 
label in Korea. So I actually set my resume, <laughs> my music, and then I got in. But the final test was to have a real performance with the musicians. But I was like 16, I just forgot my lyrics up in the stage. I was so nervous, so I sucked. And I just felt like, oh man, I have no talent for these offline things. In the studio, I think I was talented, I'm great. But the stage was a whole different thing. So yeah, that happened and I entered the high school and I just cut my hair and okay, this is my way. I should study. I should be a good student. But Destiny is really funny because that performance, I sucked. There was a famous rapper in Korea and he saw my performance. He actually laughed at me because I forgot my lyrics, but I think he saw my potentials, I guess, at that time. And he called me later, like this company, Hybe, and the CEO, Mr. Bang, is looking for some young kids who can write lyrics and love rapping. And I told him I gave up already. I didn't tell my parents, but I secretly met him and then it happened like this. What was his name? Sleepy. <laughs> so if Sleepy hadn't called you, mm -hmm. you would have become, who knows, a businessman. Maybe a businessman like my dad, I guess. Yeah. Stage fright can hit everybody. But fortunately, your stage fright wasn't <laughs> at all final. So was this the inroad into BTS, the band that you lead now, or were there intermediary steps? I was the first one to be a BTS member. So mm. actually, Mr. Bang, which is our CEO, he started the team with me. He wanted me to be the first member and the leader and the first one to start the group. So that's how it happened. BTS, we started as trainees and there were more than 30 people for BTS, but many of them dropped out. So out of the 30 people, now we have seven members in this team and we had our debut single in 2013. So it's been nine years and we've been living together so far. So it's been 12 years for the whole journey. Yep. I think it's safe to say that for the first half of those 12 years, BTS was a primarily Korean slash Asian phenomenon. But then about five years ago, you had this huge breakthrough in terms of social media, in terms of billboard charts, et cetera, et cetera. And something happened there. And I'm curious, what happened? What was the thing that made BTS spread from being a primarily Korean phenomenon to being a global phenomenon? But what was it like to be in the inside of that? How did it feel to suddenly be a global star? When we try to see BTS, you have to see the fans the armies, because they're like the half, the other wing, the another wing of the team. They're really special. And they're not just about the enthusiasm or the energy. They actually did something. They send the letters to the American DJs to stream our songs on the radio, because airplay is really important for the Billboard chart. So I think that happened by the people and the love. And to be at the eye of the hurricane, it's really strange. And the art, especially the fine visual art, helped me at this point to not be so crazy or hyped up like for the whole time. 
So that's an interesting pivot for this conversation, which is the reason why you're on this podcast is because you've become involved in the visual arts as a collector, but also as an influencer, as a supporter of the Korean art scene in particular. So how did that start? Was it in this period around 2017, 2018 that you were drawn to the arts? Do you remember how it started? Yeah, I remember how I started. It was in 2018, which is four years ago. Actually, I got plenty of time when we are on tour in America or in Europe. I'm not actually a club person and I have no such friends abroad. So I got plenty of time, but most of the time I just spent my time in hotel, watching YouTube or Netflix or some stuff. And I was really bored. So one day I was like, is there some site or some place that I can go? And then why not go into the museum? So the first site was the Chicago Art Institute. And it was 2018. I just went there and saw the amazing paintings they got, like Sarah, Monet, Picasso, the artists that I knew before that I entered into the art world. So it was for me the first time, because there were no such museums or places that could see those artists painting for real. I just felt the thrill and they're all dead. But for now, in 2018, some outsider from South Korea in here and in the small room, me and his footprint or some pieces of his time just encountered. And it still gives me a thrill. And I was so jealous. What is an art? What is this painting? What is this color? What do they mean about? So yeah, that first experience got me really interested. And I had many chances to visit all the famous museums because I was like, always in the Paris, New York, LA, and stuff. And now, a brief word from our partners at UBS. From the same partnership that brings you the Intersections podcast comes the Art Basel and UBS Art Market Report. Out now, this year's edition shows how the global art market staged a phenomenal comeback in 2021. Find out how online sales fared as crowds returned to galleries and auction houses, and how changing global wealth impacted collecting trends. Get your copy now at UBS.com slash collecting. And now back to the show. It's interesting, Namjoon, you probably don't know this, and I hadn't realized precisely how this started, but I'm actually from Chicago. So the oh. Art Institute was, was also one of my first museums. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. absolutely. Yeah. That's really interesting. So if I could tie this narrative together, there's this moment where not only do you have all the pressures that come with being a global star, right. but also you have the opportunity because suddenly you're doing global concert tours to visit museums all over the world. Right. Tell me how things evolved for you in terms of you're getting more and more engaged with the art world. Were there particular incidents mm-hmm. that kind of brought you in deeper to where you are now? The moment from 2017, the Billboard Music Awards, it was in May. So it's five years ago from now. And as time passes by, we were involved 
in the major music industry, like the Grammys or the BBMAs or the AMAs or CBS, NBC, Jimmy Fallon, Kimmel, Ellen shows. So those things were my bucket list when I was young to see the actual Grammys and meet the great artists like Drake. I even met Nas, which is my idol. And the people who I always see on the TV and YouTube, firstly, was so unbelievable. But ironically, I found myself, my roots in America, I think. I realized me, myself, as a born Korean in the hotel in Los Angeles. I just, oh man, I couldn't leave my country. As time passes by, more and more I got to miss the country, my home, my friends. So firstly, I was like, I was like wondering, why can't I name any one Korean artist in this visual artwork? I can name thousands of Korean musicians myself, but I couldn't name one single Korean painter. So I was like wondering, and after I came to Korea, I started to visit lots of museums in Korea. Korea is a small country, so there's not many museums or great galleries. But when I have time, I always visit the museums and the galleries in Korea. I started trying to research, is there any Korean artists I can respect or I can get inspired as an older brother, as a father for this art world? So that's how it started. What was the first artwork that you bought? I bought it from auction and it's a Korean artist painting a small mountain painted in 1976. His name is Daewon Lee and he's famous in Korea. Something like Impressionism, maybe. So first I looked into it and I just liked it. And I just bought it. <laughs> but when I set it up on my wall, then I understood what's making a collection and then filling the walls. So it was really strange and it was really something like spiritual for me still. To wrap it back a little bit, we started talking about the music and we, now we've been talking about art. I'm curious how you think that your engagement with the art world has influenced you as a musician and as a creator. I really love to use expression a lot. I don't like to divide the art world, but when I see the painters and when I see the visual artists, most of them get their fame after their death. So when I see the artists on their work, on visual artists, on fine artists, their soul is really long time thing. It's a long period thing because somebody's paint this in their 20s, somebody changed their paintings in 30s, and they start to make a sculpture in 40s, something like that. So when I see them, I could be brave because I'm 29 in Korea. So when we turn into 30, it's a different thing. It's still young. I'm still just a young man, but in a world of boy band, turning into 30 is something different in K-pop. So that's really sad, but it's a fact. I feel like, okay, is this my prime time? Is this my highlight of my whole life? Because I'm 29 and I could live maybe like a hundred years old. And that's really sad if it's my prime time. So I just want to make it long. So it's interesting, Namjoon, because in the beginning, we talked about how you came to the art world partly as a result of blowing up and becoming a global star. But mm -hmm. what you're saying now is that 
as you're coming up to what people consider the traditional expiration date for a boy band star, actually seeing what happened in the careers of visual artists encourages you to think longer. Oh, that's the best summarization. <laughs> and so the question is, what does it inspire you to do? Because by definition, you can't be a boy band forever because at some point you're not even close to being a boy anymore. I'm curious if you have thoughts about how to achieve that longevity or how to start trying to achieve that longevity. Actually, I think it already started by the collectings. I feel like, okay, I have these precious pieces in my home and I see it every day. I wake up every day in front of it. So I have to be a better one like them. I just don't want to make them feel really ashamed about me. It's really a um, private thing, but it's a really funny thing, but it really gives me the standard to live as a better man and as a better adult and a artist sometimes. I just want to make music like the timeless piece that I admire. And I know it's funny to say about the timeless or the long, long-term impact because I'm too young to copy or chase the lifetime thing. But I think it'll really help me for my 30s and my 40s to know this. It sounds like what you're saying is that by surrounding yourself with artists, many of whom are dead, and yet whose legacy continues today, you create a benchmark, a kind of visual benchmark around yourself for what it is you're trying to achieve. I guess I have to ask the question, do you imagine one day that there'll be a Namjoon Kim private museum in Korea? <laughs> so museum itself is really complicated, right? They need the curators and the exhibition. This is my first time actually saying this, but seriously, I'm planning to make a small space of my own private collection and just made the cafe in first floor and set up my collections and, and second floor and third floor. Just people could always see the collections when they just wanted to see them. Because when people come to Korea and for it's, it's it happens for the Koreans too, we cannot see the great Korean artists because there are not many museums right now. There are not many galleries right now. So I just wanted to make my own sometime. It's interesting. Obviously, social media is a big part of our lives now. And with your social media power and the fact that you post a lot on Instagram, for example, of artworks, of museums, do you have the sense that people follow you, that when you go to a museum, when you show the work of an artist, your fans are then going to see those museums or then curious about those artists, you have this capacity to amplify almost anything mm -hmm. that you publicly associate yourself with. I'm so grateful for the fans. They admired my post and the taste. So actually, I think myself as my Instagram account and the post is kind of like a curation already because I always upload the posts that are really liked about the exhibition or the museum or a site or a gallery and people the fans visit after me when i post it and it's really great that people could love one's taste and actually be there visit the museums and see the arts and when 300 people see the same artwork they have 300 different feelings so Someday I just wish to maybe share the thoughts about the art and of course my collection too later. 
to broaden out the conversation a little bit, whether you're looking at BTS or the film Parasite or Squid Games or Danse Quoi, the movement from the 70s, which became very prominent four or five years ago in the market, it's been a very strong moment on the global cultural scene for Korean culture. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to why that is. So Korea is a strange and unique and interesting country because we had the horrible war in 1950s, divided into the North and South. It's a really small country. In 60s, we were a country who gets support by the other nations. But 50 years later, we have changed the positions by supportive to our supporter. Mm -hmm. So Koreans, I cannot guarantee the characteristics of that. I cannot define it, but as a one Korean, I guess we have the passion inside and we have our actually energy and some specific spirit. We call it Han in Korea. I don't know how we could say in English, but after the war and the victimizing of our parents and the grandparents, those time, 70 years, made the 2022 of Korea right now, I guess. So for you, this is kind of a delayed impact, which led to this kind of focus and, and yeah. And really got a lot of benefits and advantages from the new media, the YouTube, mm-hmm. Netflix, specifically the social media, because all we could do is just push this button in the remote and turn to Netflix and we could see the whole series of Korean dramas or movies. So I think it makes a, a premium and a brand. So when the people have interest about the Korean made thing, I think people could, okay, I like to watch some Korean thing. And I think it's really amazing. And that's the power of a culture, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, what's interesting is that Korea as a cultural brand in and of itself is strong now. The fact that something is Korean makes people pay attention to it, which is a very interesting and new development, I think. Right. So I feel the flow and I feel a lot of responsibility as a one person in this big flow. Mm-hmm. So talking more specifically... When you were introduced to hip-hop, it was an American import to Korea. Of course, of course. And now, 12, 15 years later, you're part of a major Korean import to America. So there's been a reversal of that. Is it strange to you that people who don't speak Korean are huge fans of yours and that you're being asked to do features with Lil Nas X? This is a completely different thing. Now, Korean culture is spreading to America, which is where all this stuff came from. It's really odd because we never expected this. and We never knew that there's going to be a YouTube world or Netflix world in 2022. I didn't expect it at all. When we go to America or Europe, what they mostly surprise about us is the concerts because there are lots of stadiums and we usually do four sold out shows in the stadium and there are a really few artists in total including all the american and european artists to be able to make four sold out stadium shows in america or europe or in asia so they like 
Who is BTS and how could they do four sold out stadium shows? Who are they? Like, so I think it's really, <laughs> I don't know. It's still odd. It's still odd to us. I act like a musician. I act like a star on the stage, but under the stage when I come to Korea or when I come back to my small studio, I'm just a collector. I just go to art prize or art net and starts the news and just eat some bulgogis with my friends. That's all for me, for my most life. So it's still odd and strange for me because I'm just a countryman in some small country called Korea <laughs> still. So yeah, it's really different, different type of thing. So out, but it's really fun. And I feel so lucky to experience this whole two different types of lives. It's like making a movie, shooting a movie. <laughs> yeah. A lot of artists, when they become popular, when they start to have a lot of engagements, when they start to have a lot of attention, need to change the way in which they create. And I'm curious, how do you nurture your creative process? What are your tricks? What are your rituals? How do you find a room to create when obviously everybody wants you just to perform all the time? I really want myself to be calm and <laughs> I just want to make my music not caring about the other factors, I guess. The thing is that being a team member, it does mean that we have to sacrifice our own soul or our own personality. We have to cut it out because there are seven personalities and we were 19 or 18 when we started as a team, but now we're almost 30. We became men and adults. So we have the different characters or, or maybe some different future visions, but BTS is still really important for me. And it's the biggest part of me, but keeping this intensity as a team make me easy to forget who I was and why I started this thing. And I just want to remind and reminisce myself as why I started this, what can I do with my own thing? So for my thirties, I just want to figure out the way to exist like a half halfway for the BTS member and leader RM and maybe just the Nam Jun Kim himself, I guess. I think that's a great place to end this interview. But of course, we have our two signature questions. Oh, yeah. The first one is, <laughs> what is the first artwork that you remember seeing? It was Monet. Monet's The Lunch. I don't think it's the actual first work I've seen, of course, but that's the first crush for me to meet the art world for me. And then what's the last artwork that moved you and why? It's not the specific artwork, but it's the artist. It's Philip Gosson. I felt really attractive to his pink red colors for the first time, but I didn't know he started his career as one of the abstract expressionism with Rothko or Paulo. He was one of the important member of the team, but not like the others. He bravely changed his whole world. I've heard that many people laughed at him on why did you change it? You betrayed. But I think if he didn't change his style, I think he could remain just one of the members of the abstract expressionism, like one of the friend of Pollock or Rothko. But because he changed his style and he bravely encountered with the issues and the traumas of his young life, he could be Gostin himself. He's just Philip Gostin, not like the member of some trend or some time. I'm just so impressed that he did it because it's so different with his 50s and 70s. Yeah. 
That's a great answer. And I'm not sure if you're conscious of it, but it actually loops back to a lot of themes we talked about, the notion of if you're popular, if you're part of a movement, what do you do to become unique? What do you do to create a legacy? What do you do to sustain your impact on the world? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure that was wonderful. What a great way to end. Thank you so much for all the time and for speaking to us from the heart. Thank you for listening to Intersections, the Art Basel podcast brought to you by UBS. We'll have a new show every other week. To make sure you don't miss an episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please tell a friend and consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Audiation.